Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Utah Weekly Forum, a public affairs show dedicated to learning more about the issues affecting our lives and health and exploring the resources available in our diverse communities to help. Here's your host, Rebecca Cressman. I'd like to thank you for joining us for the Utah Weekly Forum. Air Rusty Keys in for Rebecca Cressman, and today we're talking to Dr. Jennifer Majerzik, who is the Chief of Vascular Neurology and the Stroke Center at the University of Utah of Health. And Dr. Majerzik, October 29th, World Stroke Day. Correct. So I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about strokes. I know they're bad. I didn't know there was a World Stroke Day. So why don't we start with having you kind of explain to me about what is a stroke? That sounds great. And I also want to say thank you for having me on and to everybody listening that um, thanks for taking the time to learn about something so important and about your health. Um, So stroke is a problem where a vessel in your brain either closes off from clot or ruptures and causes bleeding. And in either case, the end result is the same, which is that the brain doesn't get the right amount of oxygen and blood, and um, part of it dies. And so it's similar to a heart attack. If you think of a heart attack, uh, when part of the muscle tissue of your heart dies, this will be when some of the cells of the brain die. And that's what we call a stroke in in modern in in uh in colloquial terms i guess you would say well and i know a lot of people kind of do associate it with with a heart attack i know for a long time i did but it's not the heart it's actually the brain and that's part of the differences there so who can i guess everyone can have a stroke is it one of those things you know you kind of worry about at what age or any right. age right so it clearly is more common in in people as we get older so the older you are the higher your risk is but unfortunately, it can happen at any age. And in fact, uh, in the United States and even worldwide, we're seeing more and more young people with stroke, um, unfortunately. And we think that's probably because of, of, of vascular risk factors, which we'll talk more about later. But when people have a higher weight, higher cholesterol, more diabetes, that raises your risk of stroke. So yes, it is something to be aware of no matter how old you are. And my my pediatric colleagues would point out that unfortunately even children can have stroke, which we don't like to talk about too much, but um, because it scares people. But it is a it's a truth that um, both children and adults at any age can have a stroke. Well, and I know because a lot of people, you know, the myth would be you you don't think about a stroke until you know you're in your 40s, maybe your 50s. So to find that out is uh, is something that I didn't know. Right, and I think I even spend you know a lot of my part of my job as the stroke center director is to educate the community like we're doing today, but also my colleagues, whether those are residents and trainees or emergency physicians in our hospital or surrounding hospitals. And uh, one of the easiest kinds of stroke to miss is that in a young person, because when they come into the ER, people think, oh, well, she's only 22. Stroke just doesn't come to the top of their mind. So that's one of our big public pushes is to say, you know, to think about this as well. And hopefully it's not stroke. But if you don't think about it, you won't you won't look for it and activate properly. We're talking right now with Dr. Jennifer Majerzik, who is the chief of vascular neurology and stroke center at the University of Utah Health. And just a little bit ago, we were talking about younger people having the chance of having a stroke, which is 
not something that we had thought of, but you talked about some reasons why. Are we seeing younger people that have weight issues and weight problems and really just a more unhealthy lifestyle? We are. uh, And so that does put them at increased risk. So it's definitely something that I think public health systems are working very hard to correct. Um, So, for example, the American Heart Association has campaigns to try to have things like safe routes to walk to school, for example, for these, these are for children. So if you, you know, that you can actually exercise outside and be safe doing that, you don't have to be driven to school by your parents. Um, And all of these are small things, but in the end, big things, right, to try to have a healthier lifestyle, both as a, as a child and then as a young adult, um, so that we keep our weight under control, which then leads to better blood pressure and, and less diabetes, et cetera. You know, it is interesting because I think about, you know, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but and, and I did grow up in a really small town, so that also makes a little bit of a difference. But, you know, we were riding our bikes to school and walking to school like in fourth and fifth grade um, and playing outside all day long. And then you fast forward to my girls who are now in their early 20s. But, you know, they didn't ride their bikes to school. Finally, I just got a bunch of kids in the neighborhood and said, come on, we're all riding and I'll ride with you guys, you know, because they just weren't getting out and doing things. Right. I, and, I wish people would do more. Right. And I think it takes it takes some effort as a parent or as a young adult yourself to say this is a priority and, and to really look to see where am I getting my exercise from? Am I getting enough? Um, and uh, where can I get more? And trying to make it fun or just part of your daily life. You know, for some people as an adult, if you're driving to work, it means parking farther out, you know, and walking in. Um, for others, it means dedicated recreation time. We just got a new puppy, so we're out out and about with our puppy. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we're having fun with that. But it, it is something that I think we all have to be aware of. And then having that exercise not only reduces stroke risk, but also heart risk, and also is good for your mood and your cognition um, and your mental health. So there's a lot of good reasons for us to get out and about. And and another thing, you know, just look at your daily life and think, okay, what can I do? Like I actually, we we are at the Triad Center downtown, which has ten floors. And- and every day I walk the steps. I walk all – I'm on the second floor, but I start at the bottom and I walk all the way up to the, the 10th floor and then back down. And I do that every day. And it, it's simple, easy little things like that you can just add to your life that really aren't going to take that much more time. And it's going to make a huge difference. Right. And one of the things is that these don't have to be big things. So I, I always tell my patients, you don't have to become a marathoner. And to all of you marathoners out there, I applaud you. Uh, I will never be a marathoner. Um but really, the data is pretty clear that daily walking, even in small amounts, is beneficial. And for those of us who are working at Zoom, on home, um, even getting up each hour and walking around the house a bit, up and down the stairs or out and around the block, that's actually beneficial to, to our heart and brain health. Talking right now with Dr. Jennifer Majerzik, who's the Chief of Vascular Neurology and the Stroke Center at the University of Utah Health. What is a mini-stroke? Yeah, mini-stroke is a term um, that is thrown around a lot. It's probably synonymous with uh, TIA or transient ischemic attack. And basically that means a stroke that is threatened but self-resolves and doesn't leave a scar in the brain. So I think of it akin to um, uh, angina. You know, someone says they had they had chest pain and when they go into the ER, it turns out that they have a blockage of the heart, but they don't actually, they didn't actually result in muscle tissue death. Um, so similar for a TIA or a mini stroke, it means it didn't quite finish it out. Um, some people also view mini stroke as just one that was mild, so it did leave a scar, but the symptoms weren't that severe. 
either way, it does mean that your brain is at risk of a larger stroke and really should be addressed. So uh, we haven't really talked about this yet, but um, if you if you have one of the stroke warning signs, we really want you to call 911 and get to the ER so we can manage that very quickly. Uh, so that we don't, so that we don't have a major stroke, right? So we don't, uh, we we want to only have mini strokes or none, preferably at all. If you go in, like let's say maybe two weeks later after you had a mini stroke, can they tell that you had a mini stroke? Um, yes, you could get an MRI, and um, if it left a scar, we would see the scar. If it didn't leave a scar, then we would not see it. It would the MRI would just look normal. But the real problem with going in two weeks later is you miss the chance for. Um, your your risk is a lot higher for having a second event that's going to be much worse. So the high-risk period, well, two things. You can get treatment for stroke in the first couple of hours of your stroke. So while you're having your symptoms, um, which we should go over next, you want to call 911 so you can get to the ER, and we can either give you a clot-busting medicine or do what we call catheter-based therapy and actually pull the clot out. Um, and coming in by ambulance really helps because the ambulances know which hospitals in our valley are stroke centers and which ones are not, which the general public isn't going to be aware of. But also the ambulance calls ahead and alerts the stroke team to be ready. And so they will clear the CT scanner and the team will be waiting in the ER for them. Whereas if you just drive yourself in or your spouse does or your friend, uh, you're suddenly in the waiting room and you have to alert people to your presence and it's just it's not as efficient uh, for you to get the care you need. So we really want people to come in quickly because we have a, a very short amount of time in order to change the progress of this stroke. Um, and then the second thing is that let's say we are done with our clot-busting medicine and our, and our catheter-based treatment. Now we want to make sure this thing doesn't happen again. And so we initiate secondary prevention measures immediately right there in the ER. And if you wait too long, we don't have a chance to do that. And so your risk, again, of another stroke goes up. October 29th, that's going to be World Stroke Day. So that's going to be coming up here just a little bit so people can learn more about it. Talking with Dr. Jennifer Majerzik, who's the Chief of Vascular Neurology and Stroke Center. Those are a lot of big words, by the way, can I tell you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's at the University of Utah Health. Well, let's talk a little bit about the warning signs because they differ from a heart attack. And, you know, I think sometimes people kind of put heart attacks and strokes in the same thing. And it's, it's not. They are different. They are separate. So what are the warning signs for a stroke? Right. So um, the, thing, the, the thing about heart attacks is that they hurt. So people tend to come in because they have all this pain and, you know, uh, and so they, they arrive to the, to the emergency room. But you're right. With stroke, there's very rarely pain. Instead, what we have are neurologic uh, problems. And one of, the, one of the ways that we try to teach people is to use the acronym FAST, F-A-S-T, and you've probably seen it on billboards or on buses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but FAST stands for uh, face uh, is the F. So does one side of the face droop or is it numb? And you can test this by just asking someone to smile. And I, my patients tell me, oh, yeah, I, I looked in the mirror and I smiled and one side wasn't moving. Okay, Or it, it was fine. And so I thought, okay, well, that, I don't have that sign or I do have it. The second, the A in FAST is for arm, arm weakness or arm numbness. And really, if you're helping your friend out, you would have them raise both arms and see if they both can go up or if one falls down. Now, clearly, people can have other reasons for arm weakness, like they have a rotator cuff injury or whatever. But these would be signs that come on suddenly all at once, which a rotator cuff injury wouldn't happen all at once like that. And then S is really important. That's for speech. Is your speech slurred or is it hard to understand 
or is it difficult to make speech? So there are a lot of different problems with speech uh, that can that can come about from a stroke. So usually we just ask people, you know, you can say, hey, you know, to your friend, how are you doing? Are you okay? See what they say. Ask them to repeat a sentence, though. Um, so one example is the sky is blue, very simple sentence, and see if they can tell it to you. And if they can't, that's that's really not normal, right? Their speech shouldn't be garbled or slurred, and they should be able to follow your what we call a command in order to repeat it back to you. And then T is for time. So we've got face, arm, speech, and then T is time. And that's to say this is an emergency. You need to call 911 right away because we don't have a lot of time to reverse the course. I was just thinking about the the sky is blue thing and thinking, okay, make it simple. Make it easy. It doesn't need to be Susie sells, she sells by the seashore. (laughs) (laughs) You're not trying to trick the person. (laughs) That's probably not the best way to go. Gosh. So, again, it's fast. Now, on face drooping, it's one side or the other. Do do strokes happen on just one side of the brain or they can happen on both? Um, They can happen on both, but it's incredibly rare for the signs to be bilateral, meaning both sides of the body at the same time. So we really look for one side. So usually be like face, arm, leg is all weak and numb or just the face and the arm or just the arm and the leg, that kind of thing. We don't include leg in the stroke warning signs because arm and leg tend to go together. But clearly if you have leg weakness, that can also be a problem. There are other symptoms too, like loss of vision on one side is a very strong sign of stroke. But it's hard for the lay public to test vision in people, which is why we haven't really focused on that as a warning sign. Um, also double vision, seeing two of things is, uh, a very big concern, but again, um, trying to keep it simple. We usually just focus on face, arm, speech, um, because that's how I think it, it's been shown again and again, that that's something that we can wrap our heads around, uh, to, to identify stroke pretty quickly. So this is kind of a personal question I've had through my life, uh, a lot of concussions, well, not mm-hmm. a lot. I've had four or five, um, but a couple of them were pretty, you know, pretty severe when I was younger. Does that increase the odds? That's interesting. So there's a lot of research being done right now for a traumatic brain injury, uh, of which concussion, you know, is part of, and stroke risk. And probably it does. Um, the data is hard to sort out because it takes a long time to, to – you have to watch people for decades to really pick up on this risk. Um so we think it probably does, but it hasn't been fully sorted through yet. There's some really innovative work being done through the Veterans Administration um, because veterans, of course, unfortunately, have suffered, often suffer head injuries. Um, and then also some of the national sporting leagues uh, have you know, contributed mm-hmm. to this, this national look. So I think the data isn't really clear yet, but there is some early signal that suggests that repeated concussions might raise your risk, yes. Okay. And again, we talked about the warning signs just a little bit ago and the acronym FAST, which is face drooping, arm weakness, speech difficulty, and time. And when we're talking about time, it's uh, it's time to call 911. It's not like, you know, time to sit down and wait for just a little bit, see if it passes. It's take that action. Exactly. You got it. So can strokes be prevented? The vast majority of them can, and I don't want any listener out there to say, but I did everything right and I still had a stroke. That is also possible, unfortunately. But your best shot at not having a stroke is really to manage probably what you already know about. So high blood pressure is an enormous uh, stroke risk, and it's also a risk to damage your kidneys, your heart, your eyeballs. So I always say blood pressure is it's what we call the silent killer, right? So you should know what your blood pressure is. You know, when I go in to see my own doctor, it's kind of interesting to me. My blood pressure will be checked, but they almost never tell me what the number is. 
And I think, um, so I always ask, and that's what I tell my patients to do too. You should know what your number is. It's not, it's part of who you are. My nurse says to women, you know your bra size, right? You should also know your blood pressure. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's kind of personal. But her point being, so is your blood pressure. You should know this number and know where you sit. And really, a normal blood pressure um, is in the 120s over the over 70s. And in the old days, we used to think the 140s, the 150s, 160s were normal. But the data is just more and more clear that the, if you can be in the 120s, your risk of stroke is much less. So... I talk a lot about blood pressure because it's so important and because it starts early and accumulated damage over the years is difficult to counteract. Um, but then the second thing is uh, what we already talked about, moving more, right, being mm -hmm. more active. And then smoking. If you're smoking, you've got to quit. And it, I know it's not easy, but there's ways to help. But it's an enormous risk factor for stroke. Um, and that includes... Uh, probably includes e-cigarettes as well, although, again, that you know, e-cigarettes are new enough we're, we're not entirely there yet with that data. And then the other thing is uh, cholesterol. So, again, you should have your cholesterol checked, you know, with whatever regularity the primary care thinks is appropriate. But if it's high, it should be treated because that cholesterol can go to the arteries in your neck and in your head, and you don't want that because then it raises your risk of stroke again. So what about uh, AFib? Yeah, so atrial fibrillation or AFib is an abnormal heart rhythm that is increasingly common as we age. It's pretty uncommon in uh, – it's very uncommon in young people, and it's pretty uncommon in middle-aged people. But after um, around age 60, the, the incidence goes up and up, and it's more common in women than men. Um, but it's seen in both genders. Um, if you have atrial fibrillation, what's what's interesting is that if your heart is kind of not pumping or not, um, if the electricity of your heart isn't as steady as uh, as it normally would be, it can set up a system where you develop clot that sits in your heart, and then every now and then the heart ejects it and it goes up to the brain. And that's when you have a stroke from atrial fibrillation. So the way to prevent that is to be on a blood thinner, of which there's several kinds. But that definitely takes a conversation with your doctor because they have to do some risk-benefit calculations regarding your bleeding risk and your stroke risk and make a decision with you about that. But certainly atrial fibrillation is a big risk for stroke if not managed correctly. Well, and as you were talking about blood pressure, you know, and just knowing your blood pressure, it it is interesting because I'm like you. No one ever tells me, but I always ask. And mm -hmm. occasionally I get like just a weird look like... If it was bad, I'd tell you. Yeah, I know, but I want to know. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of, right. I'm weird about those kind of things. So that doesn't bother me to ask. Go ahead and ask those questions. That's what everybody is there for. Right. We're, we're talking with Dr. Jennifer Majerzyk, who's the Chief of Vascular Neurology and Stroke Center at the University of Utah. And we're talking about uh, strokes because World Stroke Day is going to be up on October the 29th. We've talked about a lot of different things, but what other things do we do or can do that you would recommend that we haven't discussed yet? Um, I guess we didn't talk about diabetes a lot. Okay. But it's certainly um, if you have pre-diabetes or diabetes itself, getting those sugars down is really important. And I've been amazed. I, I recently attended a lecture on diabetes medications, and they've there's just a revolution going on in that field um, that for me, I just send all my patients now to somebody who's an expert in that because I don't, it's too much. The science has gone so fast for me. Um, so there's a lot of options out there for diabetics, but really the best way to not be diabetic is to keep your weight under control. But nonetheless, if you already have diabetes, getting your sugar down is really important. Um, and then I think, 
just some wholesome things, which is kind of being smart about having a community around you and making sure that um, your family and everyone knows who you are, knows what your wishes are, and then is aware if you ever have a problem so that they can call 911. And I think this is a big issue for older people who may live alone. So trying to have that community with you is can be very helpful both for your cognitive health but also to help you out if there's ever an emergency. October 29th, that's going to be World Stroke Day. If I want to find more information, I'm going to just take a wild stab in the dark that you've got some online that we can look. Where do we go? Right. So the University of Utah Stroke Center has some information. And I will say um, the American Heart Association is also a stroke association and has incredible uh, resources for patients online. Uh, So both for preventing stroke, treating stroke, and then um, recovery. And we didn't talk a whole lot about recovery, but I will say if you're someone out there who's already had a stroke, there are a lot of resources for um, both education, but also community events and um, and recovery resources to help to help you through this period, uh, support groups and that kind of thing. So both our state has those, most hospital systems do, but and the American Heart Association has a lot of information as well. And I think those symptoms that identify a stroke are just so important to kind of talk about again. It's kind of like, you know, people learn CPR, but then if you don't use it and you kind of slowly kind of forget what you're supposed to be doing. It's kind of the same thing with these. You know, I've heard about FAST, which is the acronym for, for the symptoms for stroke. But if you don't think about it, you start to kind of forget about it. So tell me again what those uh, what FAST stands for. Right. So FAST is face drooping. So is one side of the face uh, weak and not moving correctly? And you can test it by having someone smile. And then A is for arm weakness. Is the arm weak or numb? And so you have them lift their arm up and see if they can hold it up there. Speech difficulty, is the speech slurred or does it sound like they have marbles in their mouth or do they just not make any sense? Are they using words that aren't real or do they not understand your speech? And then T for fast is time to call 911. I can tell you we have real um, examples in our community of heroes who noticed this, who saw, you know, an abnormality um, and took action. And I I applaud them. There, There was a a fourth grade class um, a couple of years ago whose teacher had a stroke and they ran to the principal, told the principal, called 911 and the lady was was rescued and saved. It was just incredible. Teach your children. Yeah, I read about that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I won't use her name because I don't have her permission, but I think it it really is one of those things that says public education can make a difference. And so you can tell your kids or your grandkids, make sure people know, and then hopefully we will save a few more people. Another one of those stories uh, happened not too long ago. I want to say a couple months ago. I saw it uh, you know, on, on the web. It wasn't locally, but there was actually a newscaster. Uh, who was doing like the 10 o'clock news and they noticed some of these symptoms and someone called in and next thing you know, she was off to, to the hospital and that was the reason why. Right. And so she was she had the decency to have her stroke where everybody could see it yeah. and help her. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing, though. I'm sure she felt embarrassed. But right. You know, to to have someone say, hey, it's not right, because the thing is, is the person with the stroke may or may not know themselves. They may not always be as aware because because their brain's not functioning right. So sometimes it takes a family member or a neighbor to, to call attention to it. Well, and the other thing, too, is let's face it, we're stubborn. You know, even when right. we know certain things, we, we we can rationalize those away. We can figure out that, well, it's not me. That happens to other people. Right. The other thing is I've heard a lot of patients are nervous about calling an ambulance because they don't want their neighbors to be bothered. 
Um, and they must like their neighbors, I guess. But uh, you can tell, you know, when you call 911, you can say, please don't have the lights and sirens, you know, to make it quieter. It's two in the morning, whatever is going on. Um, ambulances don't have to be loud when they come to your neighborhood. Uh, and so some patients have found that comforting. So just it's still best to call 911 uh, regardless. But if you're a shy person, that's one option for you. October 29th, that's going to be World Stroke Day. Talking with Dr. Jennifer Majerzyk, who is the Chief of Vascular Neurology, the Stroke Center at University of Utah Health. And again, I know you've got um, things online that, that can help people and teach people and inform people. Give me those websites again. Right. So you can go to the University of Utah Stroke Center and then also the American Heart and Stroke Association. And both have really good information um, to help you out, both in learning how to prevent a stroke, how to treat one, and then uh, recovery options for support groups and things of that nature if you've already had one. We also have a lot of trials. I, we're not talking about trials today, but lots of clinical trials. And so, and that's a nationwide um, effort, not just us at the U of U. But, um, you know, you might be interested in one of those as well. Dr. Majerzyk, thank you so much for your time and for the information. I've learned a lot. Well, thank you. I really appreciate us being able to talk about it today. International Stroke Day is a good time to become aware. And for those of you out there listening, I appreciate your, your time and thoughts. Utah Weekly Forum is produced by KSFI FM 100.3 in Salt Lake City, a Bonneville International Station. Subscribe to the Utah Weekly Forum podcast online and email us at Rebecca at FM100.com. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 